Pastor Xavier Reese and God's design for marriage. Paul gives the reason for his command to submit. It is fitting in the Lord. In view of the fact that they have made a covenant with their mate for life, it's not absurd. In view of the fact that they were aware of God's creative order, it was not absurd. In view of the fact that God wanted to provide the world with a visible example of what God can do in marriages, it's not absurd. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Divorce has become more than a norm nowadays. It's not just accepted, it's almost expected. Now, the sad fact is that even Christians seem to have lowered the standard for marriage. Well, today, Pastor Xavier takes us back to the Word of God, where he examines God's design for marital bliss. It's time to join him in the book of Colossians for today's Bible study, Husbands and Wives. Let's listen. Marriage in the American society has been degraded in the past 30 years to such an extent that it's merely a nice option that is offered to people. Certainly, it's nothing to be taken seriously. Our society, for the most part, has no idea what an average home is where the father works and the mother stays home and takes care of the children and makes them accountable for their actions. We often get the complaint, well, you know, Ozzy and Harriet, you know, that never was true. Listen, at least it was something to shoot for. But the family we have on TV now, why would we want to emulate them? But there is hope in Christ. He alone can turn a person around in a marriage. Now, Paul has been telling the Colossians from the beginning about their new life in Christ as Christians. And when he arrives to chapter 3, he is very specific about the new man. Paul now focuses on the new man's home that is to be characterized by obedience to Christ in order for Christ to reign supreme in the home. There are no exceptions. If you're a Christian here this morning, you've got no excuses. You've got new potential. You've got a new nature. You have the ability to live according to what Paul's going to say. If you're a non-believer, then open your heart for what God can do in your heart. There is potential in Christ. There is probably no greater witness that a church can give to the world than the community of godly homes, marriages that are sold out to Christ. Now, Christians and homes are not perfect, but they are different in behavior and in attitude due to being new creatures in Christ. Paul addresses here six individuals which normally constitute the home of that day, and they come in pairs. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands are to love their wives. Uh, then children are to obey their parents, and parents are not to provoke their children to anger or wrath. And then servants are to obey their masters, and then masters are to do just and be just with their servants. So they come in pairs. There are six individuals that are addressed. What we want to do this morning is focus on our attention upon the new man in the home regarding the wife and the husband by a simple threefold division in verses 18 and 19. Let me read it here. He says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them. That's it. Real simple. Real short and sweet. First, we want to look at women in marriage in Paul's day so we get the context and the backdrop so we can appreciate the commands. 
Secondly, wives are to submit to their husbands. Thirdly, husbands are to love their wives. As you know, the Jews were God's people, but yet the Jews had a low view of women. Their morning prayer was, God, I thank you you didn't make me a, a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That was the Jewish prayer, okay? There were two schools of thought, the day of Jesus and also Paul, and, and as you know, Shemaiah and Hillel. Shemaiah uh, declared that the only reason for divorce was adultery, sexual unfaithfulness, okay? Um, he was a conservative. The Hillel, he was the, the liberal. He said, for every cause. And so for that reason, they often were leaning to more liberalism, as, as man always does. Some of the things were if she put too much salt on the food, he could divorce her. If she went out in public with her head uncovered, showing disrespect to her head, he could divorce her. If she spoke to a man publicly, he could divorce her. Now we say, that's stupid. Well, listen, irreconcilable differences, that's stupider. I mean, think of the excuses today. Now, their belief was based on a text of Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Those of you who went through Deuteronomy with us remember that. Now, the text did not teach what they said it did. It simply said that for some uncleanness, a woman could be given a bill of divorce, but it was taken to extremes. Well, first of all, we don't know what the uncleanness was. Rabbi Akiva interpreted the uncleanness to mean if he desired a more beautiful woman or if he saw one more beautiful than his wife on the street, that meant that his wife became unclean in his eyes and he could divorce her. Hey, guys do that today without a religious purposes. <laughs> Trade them in on a new model every two, three years. Now, the text was both really a protection of the woman who was being divorced without just cause and a warning against the husband. Let me give you what that text means in Deuteronomy 1 through 4. It says, if you divorce your wife and you give her a right in a divorce and she goes out and marries another and then he dies, you cannot take her back to be your wife again because she has been defiled. How? Sexually. Which begs the question that when the divorce was given to her, it wasn't biblical because if she committed adultery, she would have been stoned. You wouldn't have to divorce her. She's gone. So that means that the reason the divorce was given was not legitimate. And in giving her that divorce, she would not marry another and when that second man went into her sexually, she was defiled sexually. She couldn't come back to the same person, the same husband. So the defilement of the woman was really the fault of the man. So it was a protection for the woman and a warning to the man, be careful what you let go because you can't ever get it back. That's good. That was Jewish society. The Greek society was worse. Prostitution was a part of Greek life. Desmosthenes laid it down as an accepted rule of life. He said this, quote, We have courtesans for sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. We have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and having faithful guardians for all our household affairs. So marriage was a game, recreational activity. In the Greek culture, the respectable woman would have no public life. She'd be kept inside, secluded. Exenophens, aim was that she would see as little as possible, hear as little as possible, and to ask as little as possible. She was to run the home, care for the children, while the man found pleasure elsewhere. Divorce was nothing more than a change of mind, opinion, or fancy. The Roman view of women is even worse. But surprisingly, for the first 500 years, 
there was not one divorce in the Republic of Rome. Do you believe that? The first 500 years, we're, we're, we're barely over 200 years, and man, we're flooded with them. A guy named Spurius Calvillius Ruga divorced his wife because she was childless. That was the first divorce. 500 years, that's pretty good. The L.A. Times, Orange County, November 1974, said there had been 6,372 marriages and 6,702 divorces in the first six months. More divorces. Now, as we have this backdrop, we better understand the difficulty and the radicalness of Paul's command and also of the words of Jesus regarding the woman caught in adultery in John 8. Can you imagine that? She was brought to him in the very act. First question is, where was the man? If it was in the very act, he had to be there. He wasn't brought. Jesus elevated that woman to equality with the man before the eyes of God. He told all the religious Pharisees, he was without sin, let him cast the first stone from the eldest to the youngest. Boom, they're gone as he wrote on the ground. Any attempt by women or men to charge God or Christianity with such a view that women are viewed low in Christianity is a statement of complete ignorance without regarding the scriptures in their context. Ladies, there has never been any culture, society, philosophy, religious system that has done more for women to liberate them than what Christianity has. Never. Women's rights and women's lives are not for you. They're against you. If you've got a godly man, you are free and you are rich. All you have to do is study. I challenge you. Any period of history, any place of the world, of that culture or nation or people, be it a small cosmic group or an entire nation, where the gospel has entered in and you study what they were before the fact and after the fact, and particularly focus what happened to women. They were elevated, cared for, and protected, and cherished. These are the women in marriages of Paul's day. Kind of like our day, isn't it? <laughs> now, let's move on to the first command. Wives are to submit to their husbands in verse 18. Notice first, Paul commands the wife to be submissive. The command is based on the foundation of the preceding verses from verse 12 to 17. Without yielding to God's Holy Spirit as love, this cannot take place. So let's be clear about that. Without yielding to God's word and the, that you're learning, this will not happen. It is absolutely essential. This is to be the marked quality of the Christian wife, that of submission. It is to be the evidence of the risen Christ, not only reigning in heaven, but in her heart. Chapter 3, verse 1. It is the evidence that she is putting on the new man. Chapter 3, verse 10 and 12. Notice the word submit. It's a unique word chosen for the woman here. It is not the regular word that is given for children. The children is hippokuo, which means to give audience and to give uh, attention to obey. The word for the wife is distinct. It's the word hupatasso. It's a military word that means to line up under, to get in line, ABCs. And it is found in Paul's epistles 30 times of the 38 times in the New Testament. That includes also the book of Hebrews. Now, 
The word has nothing to do with inferiority because the first connotation women have, oh, I submit, I'm inferior. No, you're not inferior. That's not what it implies. Because if that's the case, then we have to conclude certain things regarding Christ, as we'll see. But it is in the purpose and design of God according to efficiency, according to the creative order of Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 25, and also 1 Corinthians eleven three. The head of every man is Christ. The head of Christ is God. And the head of every woman is the man. God's creative order, not for inferiority to be displayed, but for efficiency to be done, come about. If the word communicates inferiority, then we have to conclude from 1 Corinthians eleven three 3 that Christ is inferior to the Father. And certainly he is not. He is subject to the Father for efficiency. What efficiency? To bring about salvation for mankind. The woman is in the position she's in for efficiency. And by the way, ladies, you are equipped for that. You are enabled for that. You are made so different from us. Thank God. The woman's submission is voluntary in obedience to God's design, indicative of the middle voice in the Greek. Ephesians 5.22, Titus 2.5, 1 Peter 3.1 tells us that. Voluntary. Why? She's got a new heart. She's got a new perspective. She's got a new Lord. She's got new priorities. By the way, submission is not limited to the wife, men. Just point that out right now. It's mutual. Ephesians 5.21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submission is mutual. Knowing that the responsibility is to live out the divine roles before God. Knowing that each of them will have to give an accountability on the day of judgment. The buck stops here, guys. It works. Our excuses, our justifications, ladies, everything is fine here, maybe. We can get away with it. When we get before God, he's going to nail us for our marriages. You understand? No excuses. Notice, secondly, Paul commands is very specifically here in his directive. Her submission is to be to her own husband, not any or every man, her own husband. Very important. The submission is expressed with the article, submit to your own husband, you wives to your husbands, not just every man. The reason I say that is because often in Christian circles, it can happen, and once in a while it does, where elders or they call themselves apostles and they want to have absolute authority over the people, particularly women. No, 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 no. Only the guidelines of Scripture. Whenever we call a young lady in who is married, we have to talk with her regarding ministry. We call her husband in with her. We don't call her in alone. There's a covering. There's a head. All right? Very important. The protection of the woman is in view here. So that she is not abused or mistreated by any other man, protected by her covering, her husband. That's why single ladies get abused, because they have no covering. Before they didn't because they had the covering their, their fathers. But young ladies are out of their father's protection for the most part today. So young men abuse them. Now the result of the fall brought about the rebellious attitude of the woman and the domineering attitude of the man. You remember in Genesis 3.16 where God told the woman your desire shall be toward your husband? Part of the curse. Now some say that the word desire there means that her desire would be sexually toward her husband. It cannot be. It's the curse. If anything, her sexual desire would have been the best and the purest prior to the fall. After the fall, he's talking about the desire of the woman to want to lead and to usurp authority over the man and the man to try to dominate the woman. So because of the fall, we got a little problem. 
That same phrase, desire towards, appears only two other times. In the very next chapter of Genesis 4, 7, you have Cain, where God says, why is your countenance fallen? If you confess your sin, will you not be accepted? He says, but his desire is to master you, but you must control it. Sin is like a ravenous beast ready to leap upon its prey, Cain, so you better deal with it. If you don't deal with it, it'll eat you up. The context there is sin desiring to master his life. The last time it occurs is in Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10, where there the bride declares the desire of the groom for her. His desire is towards me, sexual. So the context has to be the ultimate decision of the meaning of the word. The word means to stretch, to long for, but the context is going to tell you whether it's positive or negative and who it's towards. And so you have the battle of the sexes taking place at the fall. What God intended at first worked, but then all of a sudden what happened? There was free will exercise, and all of a sudden you've got women that want to lead and men that want to domineer. But now you're born again. So now you know the perspective. There's a head, there's a body. There's authority, there's submission. What do you get? Effectiveness. It has nothing to do with inferiority. The woman being rich in Christ's word, she lovingly and willingly can desire to submit and does so to her husband, knowing the full counsel of God. Her submission is based on her new priority. And part of that is to pursue the peace of God in her heart after the new man, chapter 3, verse 15. Peace in the home. Now notice thirdly, Paul gives the reason for his command to submit. It is fitting in the Lord. The command is the most natural of all by the expression, as it is fitting in the Lord. As it is fitting in the Lord. He's talking to Christians. He's not talking to pagans. He's talking to Christians. In view of the fact that they were new creatures in Christ, it's natural. It's not absurd. In view of the fact that they had new potential, it's not absurd. In view of the fact that they had made a covenant with their mate for life, it's not absurd. In view of the fact that they were aware of God's creative order, it was not absurd. In view of the fact that God desired to give the best to each marriage by obedience to the manual, the Bible, it's not absurd. In view of the fact that God wanted to provide the world with a visible example of what God can do in marriages with two rotten sinners, it's not absurd. You see? Notice the word fitting. It means to come up or to arrive at, to reach to. That which is proper, appropriate, one's duty as a Christian. The idea being here according to God's design and purpose as is given to us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. The submission is done as to the Lord, Ephesians 5, 22 says. So when we do things as husbands and wives, we do it as if we're doing it to the Lord in obedience and in love because sometimes we may not feel like it. Sometimes it may not be convenient. Sometimes we may want to just get back a little bit at our mate. Peter says it is an ornament of meek and quiet spirit that is, which is in the sight of God a great prize, ladies. 1 Peter 3, 4. Meek and quiet spirit. The context, by the way, it's submission to non-believing husbands when he says that. Paul teaches the submission in a double analogy like nowhere else in the book of Ephesians. Listen to him. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. Listen, ladies, in everything, Ephesians 5, 24. In everything? Oh, now you're getting extreme. 
Everything means everything that is scriptural, honorable, that does not violate your conscience. If your husband wants you to go see dirty movies, tell him he's got a dirty mind. If your husband wants you to wife swap, tell him go take a walk. If your husband wants you to take drugs with you, tell him to smoke the big one. You don't do that. You submit to your Lord. God never intended any woman to be abused verbally, physically, sexually, or to have her conscience violated regarding God's word. Ladies, caution. Don't use the word to weasel out of your responsibility. You see, it is that which brings honor and glory to God because it is done in the name of Jesus Christ by her. Chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Mm, we do what we do for Christ. Incredible commands, aren't they? Impossible? No. It's much like an employer and an employer. The employee submits himself to the employer by virtue of the fact that the employer hired him and he knows the job a little better or has the authority to dictate what's in the job. Now, the employee may be more intelligent than the employer. The military, you salute the rank, not the man. The man could be an idiot and many times is. <laughs> but you're under authority, okay? And just stop and think, if there is no submission to someone in authority, what would your place of employment be? Your home. Anything. Without authority and submission, those two pillars hold up society. Once they're destroyed, society falls apart. Guess what? Look around. It's falling apart. You know how you destroy authority? Real simple. Take away consequences. Remove consequences, dilute them, water them down, and you've got no more authority. Authority is not respected. In fact, that's laughed at. They have bought the entire liberation of women's philosophy, and now they're paying the price. Some of the reasons the scriptures give us for women's submission are also interesting. It is a mark Characteristic of the daughters of Sarah, ladies, not daughters of Eve, 1 Peter 3, 6. The reason you submit is because now, being born again, you are daughters of Sarah, obedient, not Eve, rebellious. That's a good reason. Also, it exalts God's creative order and covenant of marriage. 1 Corinthians eleven three, Ephesians 5, Malachi speaks of the men who had been treacherous with the wife of their youth, divorcing them and taking on some new wiggly things. He says, God says, I'm going to get you. <laughs> but also it's a beautiful picture of Christ in the church, the marriage, again in Ephesians 5. But thirdly, submission is the evidence of the new creation that can live the new home. 
Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beg you by the mercy of God that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, which is your reasonable service. And be not fashioned to this world system, liberated, dependent, but be transformed, submissive, meek, by the renewing of your mind to prove what is that good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Pastor Xavier Reese and God's plan for marriage, not man's. And next time we're together, the conclusion of this study. Now, if you won't be able to join Pastor Xavier, a copy of the complete unedited message is available on CD for only $4. The title to ask for is Husbands and Wives. And you can pass on this study to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through listening. So once again, the title to ask for is Husbands and Wives, or simply mention today's date. And you can request your copy by writing... Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. How much love do you need for a successful marriage? That's coming up when Pastor Xavier Reese brings the next Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com